And you might like to open your Bibles at uh, 3 John, that you'll find on page 1230. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your command to us this morning is to love one another. And as we look at this passage written by John all those years ago, we see an outworking of this love. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us through these words. Amen. Three John, quite a short passage, and we'll be looking at it, uh, most of it, or parts of it, certainly through this, uh, this, this sermon this morning. There's my text on the screen for you. John is writing, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Well, of course, walking implies motion, doesn't it? It implies going forward, not standing still or going backwards. And however young or old we are, life is a movement. So how are we moving forward in our discipleship, our following of Jesus? Well, the account we have before us this morning, it's a pastoral letter written to one man, Gaius. Now, there's some contention about the author, but most evangelical commentators affirm that the author is, in fact, the Apostle John, one of the inner three disciples. And the letter is written to encourage Gaius because he's being criticised and opposed by members of his church and by one man in particular. And so John the Elder encourages Gaius of how he is to go on serving Jesus. So what have we got in front of us this morning? Well, I believe that we've got an encouragement, and as is often the case in Scripture a warning as well concerning walking in the truth. And the letter starts in verse 1, Dear friend Gaius. But who was Gaius? Well, I'm sorry, I can't actually confirm or tell you who he was because Gaius is a very common name found within the Roman Empire and there's no way to identify this man in particular. But he does appear to be quite an important member of the local house church because he entertains visiting missionaries and speakers. And these visiting speakers and missionaries would have sought out the leaders of the church they were going to first and foremost. And we read that he was highly respected and he was beloved. And that's why John addresses him in this way, dear friend, dear friend. But how is this dear friend to live and to follow Jesus? And how are we, as followers of Jesus, to do so? Well, if you look at verse 11, it's a good way to start if we want to know how to follow Jesus today. Because in verse 11, we read that we are to do what is good, because that's what comes from God. And we read in verse 4 that we are to walk in the truth. Now that word truth is very important to the Apostle John. It comes many times in this pastoral letter. 
you can see the emphasis here on the truth. In fact, some form of the word true appears seven times in this short letter. And everything in the church is always built on the truth. John loves the truth. He affirms the importance of bearing witness to the truth, of walking in the truth, of being fellow workers with the truth. It's a foundation of everything in the church, the truth. And the Bible speaks to us quite a lot about the truth. In the Old Testament, just a couple of references for you. We've got Psalms, in Psalm 25, verse 5, it says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. In the New Testament, we have John 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. James 1, verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And then, of course, the most famous uh, reference to the truth comes from Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So a good question then, what is the truth? Well, we see that Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is also the word. And as Christians, we believe, don't we, that the Bible is true. What the Bible says is the foundation upon which we live our lives. And knowing what the Bible says about the truth and hiding God's word in our hearts helps us to know when we're listening to the voice of truth. And that was the emphasis in the second letter of John. And it spills over here into three John. And it's all about how to live and love in the truth. And it can be seen here in this short letter in the context of three characters. And here we've got the three characters. There's Gaius, who the letter's written to, who loves others and walks in the truth. And then there's Diotrophes, who opposes the truth. And Demetrius, who is commended for his faith and action and loving the truth. And we'll look at each of these in turn this morning. So firstly, Gaius, who loves others and walks in the truth. Now this letter, along with the other two letters of of John, is written, one of the reasons for writing these letters was to oppose heresies, especially Gnosticism, which held that only spiritual matters were important and that the body was evil. And the author here refutes this in verse 2 by showing his love for Gaius, by wishing and praying that Gaius has good health. His life is good as well as growing spiritually. Health is important, which is why Christians have always sought to help those who are ill, both praying for their recovery but also in practical nursing and doctoring as well. And John is concerned here for Gaius, that his body remains healthy. But Gaius is also praised in verse 3, because he's making progress. He's walking in the truth. He's walking and moving on in faithfulness to the truth. Now, do excuse me, I couldn't, uh, couldn't help but just put that one in. Lovely image of a man walking forward in the truth. So there we have it. But the important thing here is that the truth 
is seen in the personal actions of Gaius. Because we see that he shows hospitality to visiting preachers, evangelists, what we'd call missionaries. Now these missionaries were bringing the gospel message that Jesus was born of a human mother, but was also God. That Jesus lived in a perfect life, was killed on a cross, and rose again. And this is the truth that Gaius supported through his practical hospitality of receiving and providing for the brothers who had come from John. He had welcomed them, he had supported them, he had entertained them in true love. And the important point here is that Gaius' beliefs, his morality, matches what he does. His actions matches what he believes in. And so he seeks to follow Jesus. He believes in Jesus and he shows this through his practical lifestyle. And I believe that's a real challenge to all of us this morning. It's certainly a challenge to me. Does my life, what I do every day, match what I claim to believe and say? So do my claims match Jesus' teachings? Will Jesus be able to say to me on the last day of judgment, well done, Nigel, you have been good and faithful servant through your life and walked in the truth? Yes, I will be there in front of Jesus because what have Jesus has done for me? The grace that God provides, I will be saved by the death of Jesus on the cross, not by anything that I can do myself. But that won't stop the question when I have to answer Jesus, what I have done, thought and said throughout my life. And I believe that's the challenge for us this morning, individually and as a church. And we see this with Gaius, because we see that he practised hospitality. And hospitality costs... It costs from sharing a meal to providing a bed. It costs in time, energy, emotional outpourings and money. And his actions reflect his beliefs and values. So we see here how we treat others reflects our true values of what's really important to us. Because it did for Gaius. So the question for us is, do we see people as objects or inconveniences, or as a unique creation of a living and loving God? And what's more important to God, a person, or our time, or money? Well, perhaps the most effective way to show God's values and Christ's love to others is to, witness, is to invite and welcome guests into our homes. Now, I can witness to this fact this morning. When, when my wife Liz was ill in hospital, many, several people in our congregation invited me into their homes for meals. That was a real action of love. That was an outworking of that command to love one another. It was a practical outworking that cost people. It cost people time, effort, emotion and money. And we see this, don't we, with Gaius, because Gaius provided hospitality. It was a habit for him, especially for these travelling preachers who depended upon hospitality to provide food, lodging and money. And we read in verse 7 that these travelling preachers went out for the sake of the name, Jesus, and they didn't receive any help from the pagan unbelievers. And surely... That's the same today, isn't it? That's the same situation for Christians today. The church 
And the Christian believer should support those who are going out proclaiming the truth concerning Jesus and salvation. And we can do this in food, bed, and financial aid, financial giving. Now, I know that our church here, we do this, don't we? We have a mission budget, which is money that comes out of our giving, that's given to different mission agents and different work of the gospel. And many of us as as individuals also do that as well. But note what John says in verse 7. He says to Gaius, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And this is a statement that points to the future. In other words, what John is saying to Gaius is to carry on doing it. Keep on with this hospitality. And to continue in this verse, do it in a manner worthy of God. Now that means in a way that won't be a disgrace to God. It's not at a minimum level that we need to provide for. Because God loves a cheerful giver and God wants to provide for his people. And the brothers in Christ, and this can be the way of doing this. And so, to do this means that we need to join together in the gospel. Because if you look at verse 8, what does John say? So that we may work together for the gospel. In other other words, although we may not be actually going out to proclaim the gospel, we may not be going to India, going to Africa, going to a part of the parish, we are joining together with the gospel because we're providing the means to do so. We're working together with those that are going out to spread the gospel. And this means, of course, that in doing this, we will be obedient to Jesus' command, the Great Commission, where he tells all of his disciples to go out and create disciples, not just a select few. And so then, we have then, in this short letter, uh, a writing of John encouraging Gaius to keep on doing this, despite the fact that he's been discouraged and challenged by opposition within the church, headed up by diatrophies. John wrote this letter to affirm and thank Gaius for his Christian lifestyle. And we too, can't we? We can encourage each one of us to keep on giving, to look for ways of making it possible to spread the truth concerning Jesus. Now, of course, we live 2,000 years after Gaius, and the ways of spreading the good news of Jesus have multiplied many fold. We have modern transport, we have modern technology that allows the spreading of the knowledge that the early disciples couldn't have even dreamt of. We could get overwhelmed, we could get confused and disheartened by the many groups involved in mission work. Well, let us be encouraged, though. Let us be encouraged and not disheartened. Let's be encouraged to find a way of supporting the expansion of the truth. It might be locally here in Norwich. It might be at work. It might be in an organisation or a person who works in a particular place on earth. But whatever the organisation or the person, be committed. Give it time, energy and resources so that the truth of Jesus can move on. But what is the truth? Well, we've read and seen, haven't we? The truth is Jesus. 
and Jesus is the word. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is true. And that's the foundation upon which we live our lives. Knowing what the Bible says about the truth and hiding God's word in our heart helps us when we're listening to the voice of the truth. We need to be warned, though. We need to be warned. The modern world doesn't accept the notion of truth. Absolute truth, as Jesus stated. And this has undermined many people's faith. If we go down the road of relativism with no absolutes, then we find it difficult to accept the truth as quoted by Jesus. As one Christian 20th century philosopher said, today, not only in philosophy, but in politics, government, and individual morality, our generation seeks solutions in terms of synthesis and not absolute. And when this happens, truth, as people have always thought of truth, has died. And that's Francis Schaeffer. um, John Wycliffe was slightly more uh, optimistic. He said that truth will always win. And so we've seen that Gaius walks in the truth and practices hospitality. But we've got a contrast here in this short letter. Look in verses 9 and 10, where we see the character Diotrophes, who was opposed to the truth and to hospitality. Now, the first thing to note about this man, Diotrophes, he was a man of the church. He was a man of the church. The church at that time was made up of small groups, a bit like what we'd call house churches. It was the end of the apostolic period and new leaders were emerging. And it appears that there was a power struggle going on between John and Diotrophes. We see here, though, that his motives are all wrong. He wants the church to be autonomous so that his ego can be satisfied. He will not accept the authority of the Apostle John and he spreads malicious gossip, erring from the truth and love. He even puts people out of the church, evicting them because they want to provide hospitality and support for the truth. He appears to be a dominant man, destroying the unity, making up his own rules to safeguard his own position. Now this happens when someone decides to use the church to satisfy their own inner longings for a position of preeminence. There have been many examples of this in the Christian history, where a Mr. X or X's families come to dominate a church, so there's no plural leadership. Well, only Jesus Christ should hold a dominant position within the church. We see in verse 9 various things about this man. We see that he he loves to be a leader. In other words, he's arrogant and proud. He thinks himself better than the apostles because he won't have anything to do with John. He accuses them of wrongdoings. And there's a warning here, isn't there, for Christians and Christian churches. There's a warning for us because he doesn't welcome the priests. There's a warning for us. It's not healthy for total leadership to be in the hands of just one person. And leaders need to be seen to support the gospel truth, building up and encouraging the members in their faith, not knocking them down, working together for the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus. Christian leaders should come 
under the authority of God's written word in the Bible. So that's a real challenge for all Christian leaders. So let's continue to support our Christian leaders in prayer for them each week, that they might know the love of God and of us as Gaius did and remain in the truth. But we need also to guard ourselves against being opposed to the spreading of the gospel truth and of hospitality. Because we live in a society that promotes individualism and family guarding their castle of the home. One of my experiences has been in Africa, for instance, where the the members of most churches are are relatively poor compared to us. They welcome travellers. They welcome travellers and they have great forms of hospitality. And we need to guard that that's the same for us. But thirdly and lastly, we see this man, Demetrius, who's also commended for his faith and action, loving the truth. He models what is good. Well, look at him. We meet him in verse 12. We, meet, we know virtually nothing about this man, although some of the commentators think that uh, he may well have carried this letter from John to Gaius. But he was thought well off by the church and by John. He followed the truth. And he is introduced into this letter to show us that a genuine Christian life cannot remain hidden. Remember that verse, that statement of Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And of course, that's each one of us, her followers of him. That's Gaius. That's Demetrius. We are a city on a hill and our light of spreading the gospel through actions and words should be seen. So then, in conclusion, how should these Christians in this young church live? Well, John states in verse 11, Dear friend, do what is good. Don't imitate what is evil, for a person who does this has not seen God, because good comes from God. The message is clear, isn't it? Actions of the believers' lives should be good. What they believe should match what they do. And this passage, then, should be an encouragement to us to do good, to help with spreading the truth, to continue to walk in the truth, the ways and teachings of Jesus. But there's a warning for us as well. Don't oppose the spread of the gospel or thinking that we're better than other followers of Jesus. Now, in the years to come, there may well be different ways of spreading the gospel with changing technology and culture. And that should be welcomed by us, as long as the actual gospel message remains true to the truth of Jesus. And we can guard that by being true to the word found in the Bible. That's our basis of truth. That's what points us to Jesus. So let's be encouraged. Let's be encouraged, but also let us be warned as well. Amen.